0: So there's a song, I think it's from the 70s, um, I don't know if, I'm not, really a, I'm not really a dancer, but if the circumstances lend themselves, uh, this is one of those songs that, like for example, if I'm in my kitchen, there's nobody else around, I'm washing up, that kind of thing, this comes on, I embrace it with my whole being, okay? So this is a song called Fame, and I'm going to open up the service, you might not be expecting this, just sharing with you. Uh, some of the lyrics uh, from this song and I I hadn't appreciated that there might be some comic I wasn't going for I'm not going for comedy here I'm going for depth okay but this as I as I look down at the words I'm going to read out there's some comedic value to the fact that I'm saying them baby you look at me and tell me what you see you ain't seen the best of me yet this is them not really me this is them give me time and I'll make you forget the rest some of you are already feeling like dancing, I reckon. Um, I've got more in me, and you can set it free. I can catch the moon in my hand. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name. Fame. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. Hi. I feel it coming together. People will see me and cry. I'm going to make it to heaven. Light up the sky like a flame. Fame. I'm going to live forever, baby, remember my name. So I, I, was, I was looking for songs to make a point, and when I looked through songs and searched through songs, I could have picked any one of millions of songs, millions and millions of songs. When, when we humans get creative, we write about, there's a couple of topics that come back over and over again. Love, acceptance, and Worth. Worth. We want to do things when we get creative and we express it when we get creative. We want to do things that are worthwhile. We want to to live lives as human beings that are really worthwhile. It's almost an innate sense somewhere deep within us that what we do, I don't know if you've stopped to think about this, actually matters. It really matters what we do. Somewhere deep within us, we think this. There's an innate sense that we've got. And I think it's an odd truth, actually, because it's not just famous people or the celebrity people or significant people that think that their story matters. We have that as well. Everybody kind of has this somewhere deep within them this thought, man, it, what I do is not insignificant. It, even my little life, even my little existence in Cass or Ponce or wherever it is, even if I never leave this 10 mile radius my whole life even if I just work in the local shop down the road, or whatever I end up doing, my story matters. I want my life to be worthwhile. Well, the Bible gives us a reason for this. So if you're not, faith, if you're not a faith, if you're not a Christian, if you don't cherish the Bible, if you do, just consider the reasons for this. Here's a couple of texts that get us to think. One's in Ecclesiastes 3. You might be familiar with it. You might have heard it. You might not have done. It says there, He has set eternity in the human heart, Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It says we've got an idea that we live forever. This concept exists. So because this concept exists, that's why we do stuff. That's that's why we want to live worthwhile lives, because it actually does matter. And that exists. There's another text from 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. It's chapter 4, 16 to 18, if you want to double check it. Because it's not up on the screen I'm sorry about that therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen for what is seen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal it says that we this is what the, this is the bible's argument it says that we know you live worthwhile lives. This is kind of what the Bible is suggesting. You live worthwhile lives. It matters to you to live a worthwhile life because inside of you, you know that into eternity, it matters what you do. That's, the, that's one of the things the Bible is saying. One of the other things that it's saying is that you probably, you might not, and this is if you read the parables, read the parables of Jesus, I think, and you read some of the narrative of the Old Testament, you probably won't live like that the whole time. Probably you might have this sense that everything needs to be worthwhile, and it's all you know. There's an eternal sense within you, but even the best of us aren't going to live like that the whole time. The moment, the now, the shiny thing—that's where our focus will be. So, I guess a couple of ways to look at: it. if you don't, if you don't think there's a God right now then there's a sense in which you can kind of do whatever you want. That would be, that if if that's your opinion, I would say crack on. If we just disappear into dust, you know, crack on. But if like, if like what I would say are millions of people who hold this sense in their head that there is more to this, then isn't it worth trying to live a worthwhile life? So this is the question over the talk today. And don't worry, I'll be about 15 minutes. Finish at six. I've got a countdown. I can 't go too far wrong. I think something terrible happens if I overlap uh, the countdown. so this story about Gideon, the end of Gideon's life, is really a cautionary tale that might help us to live worthwhile life. so let's just skim through the story and skim through the text. first of all, if you see there verse twenty two it's an invite, and what an invite this is. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us you, your son and your grandson because you have saved us from the hand. Of Gideon, see your family line. I mean, it's, it's pretty—it's it's reason enough to get excited to think you might be the king in the palace. But see, in these times, particularly if you're an Israelite, your family line, your dynasty, your heritage, your name—I don't think we have that in quite the same way today. It's massive. You know the story of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham takes him up the mountain and he's about to kill him, and we're all in shock that he's going to kill him, and that's the big offence to us seeing Bible times, see for the Israelites, the big shock, I mean, the big shock would have been that he's going to kill him, but not just that, that his family line would cease. That's what would really freak them out. Abraham, you've had one kid and you're going to risk your whole family line because your family line is huge currency. So it's this, this this, proposal that is on the table and he starts off, you see in the text, he starts off, maybe this is disingenuous, but at least it looks like, maybe this is the last good thing Gideon says he gives a really noble answer you see that I will not like all deep and he's there he's on point I will not don't worry I will not rule over you I've got the message of this story before that's been building up to this point nor will my son rule over you Yahweh God is going to rule over you that might be the last good thing he says because at least as I read this I can see the cogs of Gideon's mind turning. You know, just that way, you know, when somebody leaves you a really awesome offer on the table and you give the immediate noble answer, I do this a lot with cake. Do you want some cake? I don't, I don't need your cake. I'm heading towards a six pack for the summer. I don't need that under me. And I reject it. But actually in my mind, I'm desperate to have the cake. And you can see that is what's happening with Gideon in this moment. His ego begins to inflate and he just, he just lays it out there a little bit. Like with the cake, he just says, I'll just... I'll just have some earrings sounds almost innocent enough, doesn't it? I'll just let me just take the the earrings so the the Ishmaelites who were beaten in this battle were quite well decorated people, and they all offered up their their golden earrings and other bits and bobs, as it says in the text. And what does Gideon do? He has his as his ego sort of inflates as he sort of sees all this gold coming in, he makes himself. I don't know if you know what an ephod is. He makes himself a golden jacket almost. That's what you could say that it is. It's the garment that the priests would wear. He literally wears the spoils of victory around his person. So he said initially, "Nah, you don't have to follow me. Don't follow me. I'm not going to take that mantle of king. God is king. And there he is with the jacket on. And the astute of you, if you remembered back to Paul's talk last week or the talks the week before, we'll be remembering, or if you know the story at all, you'll be remembering how explicit the story makes it that this was not Gideon's victory. Do you remember the story last week, how Paul shared with us that it was almost like by the time the army was whittled down for this victory against Midian, that it was 300 soldiers, and they were, I don't know if, they were, they were described as the dogs. And by the time it, it came to winning the victory, they didn't really have to lift a finger. It was explicit that it was God's victory in this moment. And yet Gideon's got to that point where he sort of, I don't know if it's when you, when, because they've said, oh, you, you should be our king. I don't know if that moment has gone into his head, but all of a sudden he's turned around and he's wearing the shiny jacket and he's taken on this mantle, even though he said verbally, no, clearly God's plan for him to be the king. And I want to point towards him, even though he says that, Everything about his actions tell a different story. So he goes on to wear the fancy coat. He names his son Abimelech, which seems you know, seems like nothing, but Abimelech means my father is king. So he names his son, my father is king. So he says on the one hand, I'm not taking this mantle on, yet he names his kid, my father is king. And he accrues for himself, if you see in the text there, as the text goes on, he accrues for himself, Loads of wives, a harem, concubines. How does he live? He lives like any other king from the east. He lives like any other king. So he gives it the big, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'm not the king. God's going to be the king. And yet, by his actions, he wears the spoils of victory. He wears the coat. He grabs for himself the wives, and he lives like a king. And the upshot of all this, and it's a tragedy, this story. The upshot is that even even after, I don't know if you remember the last couple of weeks, even after all this God journey that we've been on, even after this remarkable display of God's providence and God's guidance and God's love and God's care and God's victory, even after all this story, all of the people, and it uses really graphic terms so we can't help but listen, end up prostituting themselves here by their actions to what is essentially a golden coat. That's what happens, that's what happens. That's the dynasty of Gideon in a sense. All this amazing story and yet you're left watching people again sell themselves out to what is effectively a golden coat and missing all that God's done. At the point when they most needed a king, at the point when they when they even, if you see in the text, even when they recognize that they needed the king, when they recognize that what they really needed was God's rule, because Gideon couldn't resist the spoils of victory, because his head got turned, because he looked to his own ends, Israel ends up devoted to a court instead of a king, instead of God. Now this story. It sounds too distant, doesn't it really, to be of any use in our world. It sounds, sounds otherworldly. It sounds like it's got no, this is a story of a golden coat and a battle and stuff. It's got nothing to do with this. But actually, if you look inside the dynamics and the principles of this story, this is, this is our world um, today. We can see the dynamics of this story weighted out in everything that is around us. I think, anyway. So in the nature of our leaders not just our politicians, but our media leaders, our social leaders, the movers and shakers of the world, and within our culture, the commercialist culture in which we live. We are very much consumers, particularly where we are in the West. And our society society is loaded with leaders like Gideon who want to grab power. I don't think you can look... I don't know how you get to the top. Maybe you can, but it doesn't look, I can't see anybody that's got to the top without doing the power grab, without having to corrupt themselves in some way. Our society is loaded with people who wear the spoils of victory. How hard is it for all of us not to wear the spoils of victory? How hard is it when we get a bit of success not to gloat? I am rubbish at this. I love a gloat. I can't resist the gloat. It's so hard for human beings to Resist the spoils of victory because really of the shape of the culture that we live in. our society is loaded with products that we can't that we like the golden coat that we cannot resist and it's loaded our society with people who are so desperate for the distraction of something like a golden coat that we're just so happy to sell ourselves out on it we're so happy to prostitute ourselves out on it because the people. Here's my argument. Because the people who take the positions of kings in our society are more motivated ultimately by themselves, or at least like Gideon, there's potential for them to be corrupted. Instead of us being over here, enjoying creation for all that it's worth, and being able to deal with all of the nice elements of life with a sense of balance and perspective, Instead of that, we end up over here with the children of Israel thinking that all our happiness, in fact, everything that matters in the world can depend on them. We all end up in the culture that we live in staring at golden coats. I think, I think it shapes, it's shaped all around us this temptation. Um, so whether it is the businesswoman who has sort of convinced herself that that happiness will come about f- for her and her family if she can just grab that extra 20 grand salary a year. Happiness will come then. That will, that will mean I can get the holidays. That will mean I can, my kids can all go to the right clubs. All that will come into place. If I can just, if I can just get that, that becomes the golden coat. And yet the reality is you don't always notice this straight about but you wake up one day, somewhere down the line and you realise that that doesn't quite do it. It's the same as the guy who can kind of convince himself that so long as at the weekend he can get totally bladdered, so so long as he can get drunk at the weekend he's winning at life. He's sort of he thought somehow the narrative of our society has said so long as you can get really drunk at the weekend that will be enough for you to get through and you kind of go that is that really happening and these stories and stories between these stories are happening all around us in our culture today and they're happening to us as well the same sort of thing we end up because of the shape of the society that we're in because of the kind of people that we are we end up and the Bible uses really graphic terms, it says we end up prostituting ourselves. We end up being totally obsessed with stuff that won't quite cut it for us. There is an incredible human capacity for us to have this like tragic downward spiral. On the one hand, the temptation to be a king ourselves is just too strong for us to grab power or to enjoy the spoils. And our need for happiness in the world that we live, that is too strong as well. So we're willing to sell out on anything the world aches i think for a for a good king when i when i reflect back on the business lady that works every hour that god sends thinking that happiness is at the end of that journey when i reflect back on the the guy staring down at his empty pint glass thinking that happiness is at the end of that journey when i reflect back on the Israelites who sell out on the Golden Court, here's what I think. I, I don't think that they wanna be there. I don't think I don't think that that's the place that they want to be. When I think about the, the way that our society shapes us, often we wake up in cold sweats thinking, I don't know why I'm working this hard. I don't know why I'm finding only happiness in this thing. I think we don't wanna be there. It's just as with the Israelites that we have, a bad king. Or we have bad kings. Think about about Israel's intention at the start. What did they want? I think their intention at the start is noble. I think they'd gotten to a point in their human history where they'd realized that they needed a good king. I think there was a point in their story where they were looking back at their journey and going, actually, we need a good king. And they'd seen in Gideon, real potential. They'd seen in Gideon a good you know, a humble guy, a guy who God was clearly with and they, you know, their intentions were really good. And Israel was aching for a king. Listen to, let me just read you a bit of Psalm 72, which kind of describes how the children of Israel ached for a king and felt about a king. This is this is a song that they would sing about their hopes of a perfect king. Endow the king with your justice, O God. This is Psalm 72. The royal son With your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a moan field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. Do you see, they were, they saw what it would mean to have a good king. And for them to have a good king was loaded with good stuff. Righteousness would come. If they had a king, the land would be sorted out. They were, they were ready, and if they had a good king, they were ready to honour him and give him his rightful place. They were desperate, and they were aching for a good king. I think that today, twenty twenty, here's what I think. I think we ache like mad for a good king. Let me give you one illustration of the way I think we ache like mad for a good king. Our press and our media do this thing where they very quickly build somebody up throw them up to the top really quickly. It's, it's like, it's a messiah complex, something like that. Have you, seen, have you seen the newspapers do this? Very quickly, somebody will come along and we'll build them up out of all proportion. You know, a good footballer, a nice guy, a politician, whatever else it is, and we say, these guys are amazing, this is, this is the guy. And then in no time at all, what do we do? We sh- the press do it first, and, we f- and they shoot them down. And we think in our hearts, oh, that's really cruel. But actually... I think it reveals something really helpful. It reveals, I think, or it's a clue, I think, to what's deep within our hearts, that actually we, we are desperate for one of these people actually to rise up and be able to actually change the way that the world is. We actually hope that. We look for that. Deep within us, we say, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be great? And then when we find out that they've got an inappropriate relationship or they drink too much or they're not that good at soccer or whatever else it is, we shoot them down. Because we ache for a perfect king. What kind of king could change things in this world? What would it take? What would it take to break us out of this little bit of a cycle? The temptation for us all to be kings. And for us to just love stuff so much that we can't always see things straight. What would it take to break that? Maybe you're not with me at the moment. But I, I think that that holds our society. Our desire for stuff. just holds us, just has us right there in its grip, what would it take for us to break out of that? This, I think, this question, question of people wanting a king, makes the story of Jesus, I think, just compelling reading. Even if you're really cynical about religion or faith or being in a church or anything like that, I think the question of the fact that people long for a king and haven't yet found one, makes the story of Jesus something you've just got to read. You've got to pick up Mark's gospel. You've got to read it page to page. Got to. Because Jesus, when he comes, his kingdom, he doesn't doesn't lord it over his enemies when he has the chance. He has this meteoric rise just so that people follow him from everywhere. And he doesn't lord it over anyone. He doesn't he doesn't take that position. He doesn't grab that position, but he's like a good Samaritan. As he is elevated, as he has the position, he helps other people up. And when they welcome him into Jerusalem, you know that story, the Easter story, when they, when they, when they say, you're the king, when, they, when, they, when they, they've seen his life for about three years, and they're like, yes, this guy is good. And they welcome him, and, they, and and at this point, I think Jesus really, even even without the miracles, could have done whatever he wanted because he had so much support. He could have taken that throne. He could have enjoyed the palace. He could have enjoyed anything because the people were right behind him and right with him. But he doesn't in that moment grab the spoils of victory, does he? He rides up to Jerusalem on a donkey. And at the moment when he could grab power, he lets the people strip him. He doesn't grab the spoils of victory. He doesn't lord it over at any point in his life. Even with all the praise. Even with everyone behind him. Even when everyone bigs him up. Even when everyone says you're the king. You deserve the throne. We're right behind you. Even in that moment he doesn't grab the spoils. Not once. And instead of wearing the spoils of victory he lets the people strip him and stick him on a cross. His kingdom forms. People start to follow him. People start to be inspired by him. Not when he grabs glory, because he has glory there. But at the very point, at the point where it's most clear that he has abandoned his glory. And he has set it all to one side. Any glory that he could have. He's there, stripped naked on a cross even with all the power and authority that he has. It's at that point, and I would say there's no other story in human history that's like this, where the king is enthroned at the point where he makes himself the least, when there is no glory there for him whatsoever. This is what makes that story compelling. Only a king like this, only a king like this can change the direction of human history. And I would say to you, I would say that's what we have had a glimpse of. That's what is seen a little bit in us. That is what's happened in human history 2,000 years ago. There was a king and he was perfect, and things have been different ever since. The emblem over his head was right when it said, King of the Jews. The king that Israel had been aching for had come. He's worthy. He's worthy so that people can worship. What does it mean to live a worthwhile life? What does it mean to live a life that's really worthwhile? What would, what would living a worthwhile life look like for you this week? I have a friend who on his way to work every day, about a half an hour commute, he prays. With his eyes open, it's legitimate, but he spends his half an hour on his way to work, every day in prayer. That's what he does. I've got another friend who, <coughs> I'm not going to mention them. They're not from around here, but their kid's got a pretty rough school. I'm going to say that. And what the advice really would, you know, they, these kids are up against it. And the advice, the, the, you know, the advice that she should be really giving to her kid should really be learn how to fight, stick up for yourself, do whatever it takes to get through. And yet this mum commits to spending time sharing the values of Jesus with these kids. Forgiveness, gentleness, kindness. I've got another friend who is super talented, just ridiculously gifted, just could make gazillions of pounds, could just do whatever she wants with her career. And yet she'd given up this highfalutin job to work for a charity and get peanuts and live in a tiny flat. I've got another friend who's lived in China for the last 15 years. It took him two years to learn the Chinese language, if he's even learned it yet. And he's a pastor of a tiny little house church, like a dozen people after 15 years. And nobody even in China is going to know about this church. None of his friends over here are going to know about it. Nobody's going to know about this stuff. All these friends of mine. I guess you could look at them on one hand and go, what a sellout, what a waste of time, what a worthless existence that is. What a, what a way to choose to lose your life. But if Jesus is who he says he was, and he is who he says he was, if he's God's son, if he's, if he's the king, And he's a good king. Nobody can point the finger at Jesus in 2,000 years and say, yeah, but I saw this. He's the perfect king. Because of all of that, if we share by our actions his values, our lives, even though they may look worthless here, become acts of eternal worship as we demonstrate some of his values to other people. You want to know if you're living a worthwhile life? What is it that you're pinning your hopes on this week? What this week would make your life completely worthwhile? What what will be the thing this week that will get you through? What will save you this week? What will be the thing that you will stare at endlessly? What will be the thing that you will hope in endlessly? Might bring some temporary joy. Might do might keep you occupied for 50 years. But if it's not, let me say this, if it's not him, even this week, if it's not him, then it's not worthwhile. He's worth it.